Fantastic. Here we are back again with AmeriCorps Connections, and I was able to find another AmeriCorps alum who was excited to come on the podcast and, and talk about their experience and their service. So I'm very excited. Um, I think this is my 20th interview, 19th or 20th interview. So this is very exciting. Um, I know there's 1.2 million AmeriCorps alum out there. So I'm on my way to getting to the fraction of a fraction. So for you folks that um, are new to the podcast, my name is Nikki Fiaco, and I am an AmeriCorps alumni. I served in state national program um, in Maryland as a volunteer coordinator at a local regional park working on um, environmental education programs. And while my service year was super impactful and I was able to, to connect with my community and make a big difference, I also learned the power of networking and the power of true connections. And that's why I wanted to start this podcast. Um, I've been highly involved in alumni engagement through many, many different organizations within AmeriCorps, tangentially within AmeriCorps, um, and I just wanted to um, start having conversations with alumni. So that's what brings us here today. And I'm very excited and so privileged and humbled to have Robert Gottfried on Gottfried on the uh, podcast with us today. Um, You'll learn as we listen to Robert, his experience and the depth of his knowledge. Like I was thinking you're kind of like a national service encyclopedia. <laughs> so we're going to learn so much um, from this man who is an, a state and national alumni as well. Um, and I can't even do your, your bio justice. So I'm going to let you just jump into um, what your service year was, and we can talk through your experience, and then we'll see where this AmeriCorps connection journey conversation takes us. So take it away, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it um, and appreciate all the great work you've been doing through this. Um, so I really was drawn to service in AmeriCorps all the way back starting in college when I was growing up. Um, and through most of college, I really wanted to be a journalist. I really bought in the idea of um, telling truth to power and using people's stories to do that. I think the big inflection point for me was, uh, you know, when Donald Trump was elected to the White House, that was kind of this moment in which, you know, I felt that I wanted to have more of a direct impact and I wanted to get involved in a tangible way in people's communities, as opposed to kind of writing and elevating stories. Um, so kind of that was this moment in which I started, I chose to, to really get involved and at the time I was in college. So I got much more involved in, um, you know, my college community and doing stuff around that, but really kind of drove me to become more and more interested in, um, how to kind of help support both the communities I've come from and kind of the larger community here in New York city that, that I'm proud to be a part of. So that's part of what led me to sign up for AmeriCorps. Um, I served here in New York City in Washington Heights, um, helping folks fight back against eviction and displacement. Um, a lot of that work involved helping folks fight for heat, for hot water, mm. um, for repairs, helping them, you know, navigate eviction processes or other kind of housing court related problems. Um, and through that really got a chance to you know, see firsthand all the ways that uh, the housing system in New York City is broken. The majority of tenants I worked with lived in rent-stabilized housing in New York City. And as a result, there were a series of tenant and state protections that they had. However, um, there was also a huge language barrier. A lot of folks were um, 
you know, of Dominican descent, spoke Spanish. And as a result, a lot of landlords were just blatantly taking advantage of them, like whether it's through refusing to translate services, whether it's through kind of only sending lease updates in English, um, and really just like trying to do whatever they could to undermine their rights that were guaranteed through tenant protections in New York City. Um, and a lot of that work was was really helping folks organize, helping folks really understand their rights and, and fight back how they could. I think for me, um, it was also a way of paying it forward. I mean, my grandparents came to New York City as refugees um, and were really taken in uh, by the large Spanish speaking community here. And, you know, that community helped them get housing, helped them get uh, employment. And to me, this felt like a way of getting to pay that forward, of helping kind of, you know, the next generation of folks really um, get access to stable housing and ensure that, that um, you know, their rights as exist in New York State were protected. Um, so that's really what got me involved in service and what made me sign up for AmeriCorps. Um, a lot of the service itself was great and really enjoyed and learned so much from that experience. It also exposed to me, um, you know, a lot of the problems in AmeriCorps, a lot of the ways that, that AmeriCorps is broken. So, I mean, chief among them is the fact that the wage in AmeriCorps is unbelievably low. I say wage, it's technically a living stipend, um, but, you know, as that entails, it's basically the, the money that you are paid to survive while in the program. I was paid, I believe it was between eight and nine dollars an hour, a time in which the New York City um, minimum wage was fifteen dollars an hour. So mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to be able to live at home with my parents and not pay rent. But you know, without that privilege, it would have been really, really difficult to serve. And there were a lot of people in my program who ended up in much worse situations, whether they had to, you know, pick up extra jobs on the weekend or you know, find housing situations that were were very unstable, right? Um, and for context, the pay was around half of what I was getting without tips as a bartender previously in the city. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the other big problem that I encountered with my service is that there wasn't adequate setup to help folks really transition into full-time careers, continuing to do that work in the public interest. So, um, Towards the end of my service experience, the nonprofit that I was placed at essentially got a grant to hire uh, full-time folks to come on. And because of how the grant was structured, you have to hire someone by the end of the month. And when I told mm -hmm. the folks at the AmeriCorps placement organization, they basically told me, you know, there's no way that we can facilitate that. We can't help you. You're going to have to leave AmeriCorps, even though you don't have that much time left. And as a result, you can't claim the education award. So just for context, one of the big uh, incentives for folks to get into AmeriCorps service is they get a, it's usually between, it, at the time I served, I think it was five or 6,000. It since has gone up. I believe it's around 7,000 today. Mm -hmm. uh, education award that you can use either to pay back debt or uh, to attend a uh, institution of higher education. And essentially I had to forfeit that in order to take this job and leave the program. Yeah. So it kind of left me with the sense of, you know, AmeriCorps is great in that it exposed me to being able to do really fantastic work. I think, um, you know, the nonprofit wouldn't have been able to do a lot of that work without the AmeriCorps mm -hmm. grant. But at the same time, the grant was not set up in such a way to really facilitate success for the members. Right. So, yeah, I want to I want to I want to just circle here for a minute. My experience as an AmeriCorps member, I also was privileged enough to have some uh, second income in the house. So, you know, my, actually my 
living stipend worked out great because it didn't put us in any other tax bracket, but there, there were not a lot of, you know, not everybody has the experience. And then when I experienced, um, when I was a director of Volunteer Maryland, um, you know, we had AmeriCorps members that had to figure out all kinds of different living situations based on based on the AmeriCorps um, stipend at the time. And then to your point about AmeriCorps members getting jobs during their service year, I remember that was really, um, it was almost like a values challenge for me because I, my, like, I naturally want to lift people up and have them like, go out of their comfort zone and believe that they have value and go for the jobs that they want. I mean, that's why I'm involved with in all of this alumni stuff. Cause I'm like, where, what are you all doing now? Cause this is just so cool. So I had to actually like internally kind of train myself to be like, okay, like this, you're going to ultimately choose what's best for you. And unfortunately, these are the things that I'm going to have to I have to follow the guidelines within AmeriCorps. And it was really hard for me. You know, it was just really hard as a director and a program manager to look at an individual who was moving on in their career and moving up and getting these great opportunities. And then they were also losing out in other ways. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. And I, you know, hopeful that, you know, ideals change around these things, but um, it's, it's tough on both parties, you know, the, the alumni, the the, I mean, the member, the program, and the the organization that wants to hire probably somebody that is like freaking awesome, you know. So, totally agree. Yeah, no, I it, it's really great to hear. Um, and I think a lot of people across the country are stuck in similar positions just because, you know, it you will be punished for having a bunch of AmeriCorps programs uh, AmeriCorps members leave the program early, right? A lot yeah. of that is because people are you know, finding success, moving on to better opportunities, continuing to do this job in a full-time way. And the incentives and structure there are just, are, are broken flatly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it's one of the big things I think AmeriCorps needs to improve. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at, I mean, I, I, I did do a deep dive and read, you know, you write extensively about your experience. And then, um, you know, I, you, there's a report that I was reading and that was one of the um, recommendations to the agency of like, let's look at moving on to employment as like a success and not necessarily a deterrent for the program. Um, and also it's, I think it's the responsibility of the program at the very beginning of the service year to be like, stay, <laughs> stay in our program, you know, and, and partnerships with organizations has to be very, very clear that like this member needs to finish all of their service hours. So, um, but yeah, so I just wanted to like touch on my experience with that as well. And just um, somebody said, double click on that thought. I don't know if I like that, but so anyways, so, so you were offered this position and then ultimately um, I know the outcome because I read the article. <laughs> yeah, I, sorry, before we jump back to the story, just to, yeah. you know, as you said, double click on, on this, um, on this point. I mean, so. I put together a, a report um, that's titled How Embracing Workforce Development Can Set Up AmeriCorps Members for Post-Service Success. Um, the report came from interviewing folks across the country involved with AmeriCorps. That's everything from AmeriCorps members to local grantee programs to state service commission staff um, mm -hmm. and commissioners um, who, for folks who don't know, state service commission staff um, are the folks who are in charge of 
uh, administering a lot of the AmeriCorps funds that make it to the state level and really deciding who in the state um, gets those funds. Is that, Nikki, would you agree with that or? 100%. And um, and it is a job and a half, let me just tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's know. also super rewarding because you get to work with so many amazing programs. And um, But yes, that is the definition of a state service commission. Um, and, and in addition, also working closely with folks at the AmeriCorps Federal Agency in Congress, um, you know, and, and federal policymakers generally. And through those interviews and work, was able to put together a series of policy recommendations for the AmeriCorps Federal Agency, for Congress, for um, grantees, and uh, more widely across the Biden administration on how, you know, AmeriCorps can really shift in a way to embrace workforce development. And some of the recommendations yeah. you highlighted talking about helping folks kind of transition before their end of service, um, you know, is some of the things that I get into in the report. And I will say, like, the agency has made a lot of really great movement here recently. They recently have called out workforce development as one of the uh, important things they're looking for in the federal NOFO or which for folks who don't know is notice of funding opportunity, which is kind of how folks who are administering grant funding put out a call for uh, application submissions to that grant pool. So that's been great from the federal agency, um, but you know, there, there's so much more that can be done. Um, and I think really the agency needs to kind of dive into how to ensure you're not punishing grantee organizations when folks are leaving uh, service early. And again, there, there are guards, benchmarks you can put there. There are ways to ensure that folks, you know, receive only their AmeriCorps Education Award for the time that they are proportional for serving. So like, i.e., if someone serves 75% of the time, that's all they receive, um, you know, and, and really thinking through ways to ensure programs have upfront funding so that their funding isn't mm. contingent on, uh, you know, that member gang all the way to the end, um, whereas you know, if someone leaves a little bit early, you still get quite a lot of that funding that you would miss out on otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll make sure to um, link all of these reports in the show notes, because I know folks are going to want to dive into all of these, all of these reports and the recommendations, um, you know, and getting all of the background and the history um, of, of the challenges and the opportunities that we have to, to grow. Um, you know, the AmeriCorps agency is like 30 years old now. Is that is that true? And so yep. I also 30 year anniversaries this fall. Yeah. I also do a lot of astrology in my other background. I have like moons behind me. And 30 years is a Saturn return, um, which means Saturn comes back to the space where it was when you were born. And that is oftentimes where you reflect on like what what am I doing? Like how am I doing, how am I showing up in this world? Is this how I want to show up? And I feel like AmeriCorps is really going through a transition. And I think it's exciting. I mean, I, anything in the federal government moves very slowly, but I think it's really exciting. I think that the the key players and you are involved with like all the key, key players, I think um, the key players that are involved, I just feel like everybody is in the moment right now and, and just really excited to see what AmeriCorps transitions into over the next, you know, five, maybe a decade or so. And um, so you, you have, like I said, you're like the encyclopedia of AmeriCorps. So um, going off this conversation, I, I wanted to, I'm going to get this totally incorrectly, but I did read almost all of the bill, the book 
the bill. Um, it's very hard to read, by the way, but I did read it. And like when AmeriCorps started, it kind of wasn't necessarily this like give back to the community idea. It was more like let's help young folks get into college, right? Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, I mean, first off, thank you so much for bringing up the history because A, I'm a huge history nerd and love to talk about right. it. But B, I think it's actually really important in framing a lot of these discussions. I think sometimes folks can think of how AmeriCorps is structured as sacrosanct when, um, you know, the people who were there when the thing was put together will tell you it is the result of a lot of horse trading, it, you know, political mm -hmm. horse trading just to get the thing over the finish line in Congress. And the way in which we think about it today is actually very different from how it was originally thought about. And I think there's a lot of value in really reconsidering some of the original uh, premises around why we kind of embarked on building this agency and creating this program and, you know, seeing what we can learn from that and, and from kind of how the thing has evolved. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're completely right in that, um, you know, so much of it was based around the idea of like helping kids afford college, right? I mean, one of the big things when uh, Bill Clinton was running for office, uh, running for president the first time was talking about how college was unaffordable. And this program was going to be a way for thousands of kids across the country to be able to go to school in exchange for doing important work in their community. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's ironic to think about like college inflation being uh, out of control in the early 90s because it's only gotten, you know, tenfold worse. Um, but if you think about, for example, the education award that someone gets for service today, the original proposals for that were much higher. Um, and I could be wrong, really? but my understanding was it was around like $25,000 in, you know, 1992 US dollars, right? Which today would be wow. well more. Um, and if you think about the cost of a public, uh, a year of public education, you do AmeriCorps for a year or two, you're getting a pretty good chunk of what you need to go and attend a public university from that service experience. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it really is like a, you know, economic opportunity multiplier for a lot of folks in that it allows you to access opportunities you wouldn't have before. But, um, you know, obviously that has all been shipped away and changed quite a lot. And today, AmeriCorps, the program is very focused on community impact, which is good and important, but it's focused on community impact in the way that often comes down to like, how many trees have you planted? The mm -hmm. metric of success of an AmeriCorps program is have you planted 150 trees? Now, again, or the problem with data is like 50 of those trees could die the second yes. you them just because they haven't been planted in places that are hospitable for trees. But going to the federal government, that's a win. You can, you know, pack up and move along. You've had success. And if the next year they plant 200 trees and now 125 of those trees die six months after being planted because they weren't done correctly, the federal government can't get a hold of itself because it's so excited about the impact it's had even though it's completely, you know, devoid from what is actually advanced in the community, right? Ensuring that it's something that is, is increasing impact. And I think on top of all of that, like often what has been left out of the conversation, um, and I, I will give credit to the current administration, the folks, uh, you know, at the AmeriCorps agency uh, in the Biden administration who've really championed this, but we really have forgotten about kind of the member side of things and ensuring that mm -hmm. this program is this, um, you know, program that's building the next generation of civic leaders, folks who are involved in their communities, folks who go on to great opportunities, whether that's a job, whether that's an educational experience and making sure that, you know, their service is not only impactful to the community, but impactful to them and their career growth, that they're 
paid enough to survive, that they're not, you know, uh, barely making it through and having a horrible experience and walking away and saying like, I believe in service, but I've had such a horrible experience with America yeah. before. I'm not sure I want to go down this path. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many things that um, my brain's like all over the place right now. I wanted to just shout out to an AmeriCorps, a volunteer Maryland AmeriCorps member who served two years. Um, she was a retired, um, she worked for the state of Maryland and she was retired and she did two service years and she was able, because she was 50 or I think she was in her 60s, she was able to give that education award to her granddaughter to go back to school. And and so I just, when you were talking about the um, the um, education award, for those folks out there that are not in your 20s or 30s, you can still serve. And if you don't need it for your education, you can pass it along to, to a child or a grandchild. So I think that that was just so beautiful. And to your point of, of uh, metrics and how we, this is a whole, this, this is not even just an AmeriCorps thing. This is like volunteer impact and social impact. Like there's a book, um, Jerome Tennille. Have you heard, have you heard of him? You guys have to meet each other. Like you have to have paths crossed, but he has a recent book out um, and I'll find the title. And if I don't find it during a conversation, I'll make sure I just drop it in the notes, but he really takes a look at, and he's a true believer of like, we should not be measuring things by the number of volunteers that you had an event. You know, when I was volunteer coordinator, people would say to me, oh my gosh, thank you so much for, you know, recruiting all these volunteers. And I'm like, don't thank me until they show up they do the work that you want, the work is cleaned up and put away, then you can thank me. You know, I think that like, this is just a time in history that like measuring community impact needs to be, and environmental impact needs to totally change. And, you know, I think AmeriCorps is doing its its little job of working on our metrics as, as well. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, no, of course, I couldn't agree more. It's also, in my mind, much better to have, you know, 50 people show up of which, you know, 40 of them are going to keep showing up every week, yes. as opposed to 150 people show up and, you know, it's a bad experience. They're not quality, you know, it, it, the way right. in which you invest in them isn't of quality. And as a result, no one wants to come to the next event. So yeah, I think that and point is lost a lot. Absolutely. And your point about the member experience, um, you know, it is it is key. It is just, it's key to alumni engagement. It's key for retention, right? Like programs, programs really need to think about that. Um, and I know that you wrote, ex some of the points that you um, wrote about were, was the 80-20 rule where a service year could only be 20% of training, professional development training or whatever. And I think you say that like, it's kind of defined loosely. So it's kind of tough to like define exactly what training is, but preparing folks, whatever, wherever they are in their life or their career, preparing folks for their next steps is so important. And is so when I grow up, I've already decided that I want to work in like career services, wherever that, wherever they'll hire me. <laughs> that's what I want to do because there's so many opportunities out there. There's so many opportunities and we just need to prepare ourselves. One thing that I would always tell um, folks that were leaving um, a service year, as I would say, go into LinkedIn, look at people that have jobs that you're interested in, figure out the language that they're using, because you need to go into the interview using and speaking the same language as that organization. And as an AmeriCorps member, we can prepare you for that, you know, two, three, four months before you 
before you leave service. And it's going to make a world of a difference and an impact on that person and how they think about AmeriCorps. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would also say on LinkedIn, feel free to reach out to a lot of those people. I feel like a lot of people are much more open to having conversations just about the work they do and like how that might intersect with some of your interests than people give other folks credit for. Um, so yeah, I, I just also want to be a strong advocate for folks, you know, reach out, build a network, talk to people you're interested in. Um, yeah. I think it really I'm, goes so far. You know this because I ping you all the time on LinkedIn. I am a huge advocate of LinkedIn. Like I, a gentleman reached out to me back in 2018 and he has an organization. Um, he and his partner have an organization, actually his partner is the founder, um, Chris Jarvis and Angela Parker. They're with Realized Worth and they do employee engaged employee volunteer engagement and they do way more than that they have a bunch of research and stuff like that but they were like we're really interested in what you're doing with volunteer maryland and so i sat down with them and that conversation turned into an invitation to go to the united nations for the sustainable development goals and employee volunteering i had no idea that volunteering was a global thing and that it was even an industry that's when my brain was practically broken and my world just exploded into this, what I'm doing now and what I'm passionate about. So yes, reach out on LinkedIn, like don't be afraid and get a subscription. I swear this isn't sponsored by LinkedIn, but maybe they want to sponsor an episode. <laughs> I mean, Hey, it's another income source, you know, anyone yeah. out there listening is an uh, employee of LinkedIn. You know, yeah. Be sure to reach um, out for sponsorship. Absolutely. I will. Well, that's how I've decided to start this podcast. You know, I just dropped a question into the LinkedIn group and I got 150 responses that said, yes, I want to come on and I want to talk about my service. So I'm at 20. And so I have more in the hopper. Um, I, but, can I, sorry, I know you're asked a question. I just want to like double down on the point that you just said there in which like, there's so many people who have served in AmeriCorps. Um, and I think AmeriCorps alumni is just such an untapped opportunity. There's so many folks who want to be involved, who want to stay engaged, who, you know, want to help mentor and support the next generation of folks. And I think um, I really appreciate the work that you've been doing in terms of uh, connecting folks and reaching out. I think, you know, so much of it is, you know, we need folks who care to just start doing things and make it work, um, you know, and Service Year Alliance has also been doing some work around, um, AmeriCorps alums, they've been putting out a recent newsletter, you can sign up on their website to get more information about the stuff that they run. But this uh, larger topic of alumni engagement and and what else the program needs to do, I think is a really, really critical thing. And there have actually been some really exciting updates as well on this overall that I'm happy to talk about now or, or later. In the yeah, conversation. let's go into it. For sure. Yeah. So um, towards the end of last year, so, sorry, let me do some context setting first. Um, there's not someone within the AmeriCorps Federal Agency currently doing nice stuff, right? So if you take uh, the Peace Corps, for example, they have the Office of the Third Way, which yeah. is a pretty robustly staffed organization that helps facilitate a lot of alumni engagement. Now, they work very close partnership with, I believe, the Peace Corps Association, and, you know, it, it is kind of a joint effort, but there is federal resources devoted to it because there's a deep understanding that like Peace Corps alumni are an invaluable asset to the United States, you know, to the idea of service, to, you know, diplomatic relations generally, right? Um, 
the equivalent does not exist at AmeriCorps. And um, Senator Coons, uh, who's a uh, senator from Delaware, he's one of the biggest advocates and champions for AmeriCorps in the Senate, um, really has chosen to make this a point and uh, recently penned a letter along with a group of uh, bipartisan group of senators to the AmeriCorps agency uh, CEO, Michael Smith, calling on him and the agency to create an office of alumni engagement, including one that tracks, you know, what happens to folks afterwards, how are we building out things like the schools of uh, national service and employers mm -hmm. of national service, which um, are basically organizations that agree to help, uh, you know, service members like uh, who have completed their service. H how do we kind of build out engagement around all of that? And Michael Smith responded, um, you know, saying that he is actively doing work to um, improve AmeriCorps uh, alumni work at the agency. And, you know, they've all committed to coming out with a, a plan sometime this summer or fall. Oh, so cool. there's, you know, you should stay tuned for more stuff that's coming out there. Um, so, yeah, I think there's just kind of general updates in which, like, uh, the the need or the feeling that you're tapping into that uh, AmeriCorps alumni are an untapped resource in so many ways is something that I think is being felt everywhere and is something that, um, you know, a lot of the folks who are at the head of the organization are really taking seriously. So, yes. you know, hopefully more to come. And as as there are more updates, happy to share with the group and, and send out to everyone who who's engaged. Oh, that would be that would be amazing. Yeah, we'll get maybe we should just get quarterly updates from we'll have the Robert Godfrey quarterly update webinar or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to say, just touching back on schools for national service and employers of national service, all of that information is always linked into the show notes. So folks can always go in and find that. When I started at uh, Maryland State Service Commission um, under Governor Hogan in 2019, at the end of 2019, we had like five, maybe three, maybe five schools for national service on the list. Um, between my efforts and the efforts of my commissioners, shout out John Polensky, um, we got, I believe there's like 13 schools now on there, um, maybe even more uh, schools for national service. And it really was just like, like at one point we had so many schools that were um, jumping on board, the AmeriCorps agency couldn't get them on the website fast enough. <laughs> like Morgan State kept saying, I don't see our listing on here. I'm like, yeah, I think they're backlog. We need to slow down on this. Um, and, and it's just such a good point because like schools are having trouble recruiting students, you know, and that was one of the, one of the, um, the benefits when we went to the Maryland higher education, I said, you could use this, like Maryland gives AmeriCorps alums, um, in-state tuition. And I'm like, you can use this as a recruiting tool. You can recruit AmeriCorps members who've gone through service. So you're getting a certain type of person and they might bring an education award with them. So anyways, I could go on and I had, there's so many rabbit holes in AmeriCorps, in, in AmeriCorps. It's like, pick a topic, Nikki. <laughs> so anyways, where do you want to go from here? Yeah. I mean, I think like that is such a good point. And I think brings up the role that state service commissions can really serve in this. Like yeah. That's awesome that you guys were taking the lead in recurring schools. Like more state service commissions should be doing that. And it's a win for everyone, right? Because like, yeah. A, it's a huge incentive, like AmeriCorps across the board is having recruitment problems, right? Like so many industries. It's a huge incentive if you can say to folks, like we partnered with 15 or 20 schools in the state. And if you serve with us, they're going to match your education award, right? Like 
-hmm. it is a recruitment tool. It's a huge boon for the university, right? Both because they're going to get some of that money that comes through in terms of kind of the federal education award. But, you know, as you said, like you're going to get someone who is civically engaged involved mm-hmm. and who will invest in the community. And those are the exact type of people that any university would be lucky to have. So right. um, it's just such an awesome opportunity. I think more and more state service commissions should really be thinking about this. And uh, one other effort I want to highlight here is um, there's a letter that Service Your Alliance that uh, America's Service Commissions, which is a coalition of uh, Basically, it's a member organization for service commissions across the country to kind of work, support each other, conduct some advocacy. Um, there's a letter that America's Service Commission's Next 100 and Service Year Alliance co-wrote uh, with Service Year Alliance taking a lot of uh, the lead on doing the letter, which was fantastic, but wrote really asking the AmeriCorps agency to uh, work in partnership with outside advocates on releasing alumni data, helping support a mm-hmm. lot of these alumni efforts, and really kind of uh, reinforcing the fact that folks in the fields can be a huge asset towards building out some of those things like employers and uh, employers and schools of national service initiatives. So, yeah, that's excellent. And we love our ask people. When I was with the commission, I'm telling you, I was on the phone with them almost every day. And we may even have a sighting of uh, uh, Chad Driscoll. I contacted him for my f- nine to five work and uh, he had just posted in um on LinkedIn about his AmeriCorps experience. And I was like, I need to get you on the podcast. So um, we'll learn more about Ask when when Chad's on board with us. And so you mentioned um, 100, next 100, right? Um, yes. Let's let's talk about what you're up to now. Like you are, you're on fire as far as I know. <laughs> it just seems like it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, so I work at a think tank called Next 100. Um, Next 100 is a think tank that um, centers folks with lived experience in a policy area to do policy work on that issue area, right? So uh, for me, it's been my service in AmeriCorps and really seeing all the ways it works and is deeply broken and using that to really motivate um, a lot of the policy reports, collaborations, commentaries, op-eds that, that I've worked on. And I think, you know, throughout my work, I've tried to be very intentional about ensuring that folks who are either current members or recent alums, that their experience is reflected in the policymaking because that's something that so often um, gets left out of of policy conversations. Mm -hmm. And an example of that is I have an AmeriCorps alumni board, which is composed of folks from across the country who have all served within the last 10 years. Some of them are current members, um, you know, and we meet semi-regularly to talk about, you know, what are the big things, problems that you're seeing on the ground what would you want changed? Giving feedback, they've also been great in giving feedback on a lot of the commentaries, reports that I've put out, um, you know, and and it's been a multiplier effect in terms of just connecting them with a lot of folks in the field to increase their impact. So I think stuff like that is really something policy organizations, uh, federal lawmakers, et cetera, should all consider. And the last point I will make there is they are all paid for their time. And I think that's really, really important because we are so quick in this sector to ask people for their feedback only after, you know, the policy has been formulated and often, you know, free, which is is not fair to a lot of the folks who really should be central in shaping policy. Yeah, wow. That's, um, yeah, I, I think that that's changing as well. We have a conversation in, in my nine to fiver um, about compensating folks for their time, uh, whether it's whatever it might be. Um, so I think that 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 brings up a really great point. And so, what are the um, 
what are the current, what are you working on right now? Yeah, I'm happy to work on it. I also realized I didn't give you the full history of how I came to Next 100, which I can do briefly. Oh, um, yeah. So I came to Next 100 um, in a lot of ways because of Emma Badera, who is one of the co-founders of uh, the organization. Um, you know, and to her credit, and to Dan Edelman's credit, who was the um, also in leadership at the time, I was very adamant about the fact that, you know, I had had a very mixed AmeriCorps experience. A lot of aspects of it really were not great and were, were broken. And I was really only willing to uh, come on to the organization to do this work on national service if um, I could talk about all the ways it was broken. And to their credit, I think they really uh, believed in that concept and, and empowered me to kind of do that and, you know, tell my story as a way of motivating uh, policy change. I think they both made it very central to the mission of Next 100 to be story-based, to be personal experience-based, and uh, to empower folks to share their experience uh, with the impact of policy to help, uh, you know, drive that change. So since I've been at Next 100, I've done a number of things. Um, you know, the first piece I put out was kind of a visioning statement for you know, despite all of these issues, why I believe in the power of national service and what it can do and what it means and like how it is such a powerful idea that can not only transform, um, you know, communities and help build up so much, but transform the people who are a part of it and the people mm -hmm. who then go on to be these civic leaders who, um, you know, might have gone from being interested in some of these issues to, or to, to be really specific, might have been gone from being interested in climate change, waking up every day feeling existential dread about the fact our planet is warming, to signing up for a local resiliency corps in their community of Houston, Texas, yep. and getting involved doing work, you know, ensuring that the next time there's a hurricane that hits Houston, their neighborhood's not going to flood, right? And, and mm -hmm. for so many folks, it's like, it's a way of putting those ideas into practice and, and really accelerate into accessing a career in doing that type of work. If Again, if that's something they fun that they enjoyed doing after the year of service. So um, the first piece I put out was kind of that larger visioning piece. Um, from there, I worked um, really like tried to meet with everyone in the field to really get a sense of what folks were working on, what things were needed, um, where there was a lot of interest. And it was kind of from those conversations that um, I got involved in the workforce development work and really yeah. felt like a huge untapped opportunity and something that so many folks were um, really interested in. And just as a quick caveat there, for a long time, folks have really thought about uh, service and workforce um, kind of butting heads. They were incompatible. And I think so much of that is based off this idea that there's something about service that makes it completely separate from workforce. And in my mind, you know, the power of national service actually is the result of putting those things together, right? Mm -hmm. Is it taking people who want to serve their community, who believe in doing something good and giving them all the skills they need to continue doing that career over, uh, doing that over the course of their career, right? Making sure that they have the certifications, the skills, the connections, the setup to be able to do that. And really, I think it is only a multiplier effect for that service. And I think, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. In terms yeah, of I, other yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, real fast. I feel like workforce development and service is an arranged, a successful arranged marriage, right? Like, it's like, these things just need to converge and come together. And it, it and it's exciting. It's really exciting to, to, to just, I don't know, see the innovation. Um, and we just need to, we need to do it right, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's so many ways that we can do that 
wrong, but I feel like we're really on the brink of doing a lot of amazing things. I was looking, I was, when I was reading your articles and the, um, some of the, um, what is it called? The relationships that the agency's having with like the department of labor and the department of education and, and these things that are going to help our members, our members, they're all our members help the members move from service into something that they can really take along with them on the journey and just get better and better at. I mean, that's, yeah. that was kind of my, my experience. I mean, it, it really, I had no idea that there was a whole, I mean, I had an environmental background, but really volunteering and community engagement was, uh, again, I didn't know, even know that was a field, <laughs> but I was yeah. late to the game. <laughs> no, not, I mean, I think to be fair to yourself and to people out there, people only know what they're exposed to, right? And yep. I think a lot 100%. of folks go through high school and college just kind of within the world that has been set up for them. Yes. And I think for so many folks, there's such the number of different careers and trajectories and fields that exist that you would have no idea unless you were exposed to them is, is so high. And I actually think so many young people today feel so limited in what they're able to do post high school, post college, just because, you know, according to our society and culture, you either go the corporate route, you, you know, go try and get into med school or law school and do something there, or, you know, you go try and work for a nonprofit. And like it, it feels, I think, and, and, just to be frank, I think, especially in college campuses, the route into corporate field is much more defined and accessible. Mm -hmm. And as a result, folks really are uh, limited by what is available to them as they're, you know, going through life. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. Yes. And, and then here we are. <laughs> yes. And I also want to add just to like the workforce and service part I think a lot of folks will say to me, like, you know, service is special because it is just service, but often will not define what that means, right? And mm. I think one of the big problems with AmeriCorps today, and this has not always been historically true, we've actually moved much more in this way, is that there is no, and this is again for AmeriCorps State National, which is the largest of the AmeriCorps programs, the majority of them, there's really no unified experience across AmeriCorps yeah. State National. And as a result, and many people serving don't even know that they're AmeriCorps members, yes. right? Um, they will just affiliate, say, I'm a city year member, or, you know, I taught in TFA, right? Like, even mm -hmm. though they're, they're, all those programs are getting a lot of AmeriCorps money, right? And um, as a result, I think we're actually missing out on that idea of what makes service service, right? And so much of it feels like we need to have a shared experience. So folks feel like they're part of this, like, larger movement to do good. Um, I've actually been really encouraged by a lot of the efforts around uh, the democracy and bridge building initiatives around service. Mm. Um, and there's been a lot of great work that um, Convergence and some of the old hands in the service space like uh, John Comperts and David Eisner have really been leading around democracy and bridge building. And, and to the agency's credit, they recently brought on um, a fellow uh, to work on democracy and bridge building, Jen, who is fantastic. Um, as well as kind of uh, Service Year Alliance has also been doing some work around this. So there's kind of th this inception of this democracy and bridge building work, which President Biden has called on the agency to focus on. Um, and I think there is such an opportunity in that work to use that to build out, you know, some type of unified AmeriCorps experience, right? And you have the group of people who are drawn to serve, right? You should be giving them the tools they need to mm -hmm. be civic bridge builders and connecting folks in communities across the country, right? You should really be thinking through like, 
how can we make sure these people are the next generation of civic leaders and that the community they currently live in or the community they move to in the future, they're the ones who are out there every day, you know, involved in the local soup kitchen, helping folks get registered to vote, really involved in, you know, whether it's their community board or the school board or, or whatever, you know, way you want to slice civic engagement, like, that's the exact type of people who care. And we want to make sure that they, A, know their American members, B, have yeah. some type of shared experience, and see that we're giving them the skills and tools they need to go out and bring that service ethos into the communities they're in and, and be a multiplier effect in, in empowering the entire community in that way. So I think that's an important point in, in Casa, the democracy and bridge building stuff. So I'll pause there, but also happy to keep talking about the other things I've been working on. Yeah. Uh, well, I experienced um, when I was became director of the Volunteer Maryland program out here in Maryland, um, hence the name, um, we when I was serving, we called ourselves Volunteer Maryland Coordinators, and we were VMCs. That's what we were. And when I was became director, it was AmeriCorps Week, and I was like, oh, let's put some social media up on AmeriCorps Week. We didn't have anything branded as AmeriCorps. Everything was branded as VMC or v, whatever it was, yeah, VMC. And um, so I was like, oh, we got to change this. And so one of my first initiatives was to change to, to change the way that we spoke about our, our members. They were AmeriCorps members serving with Volunteer Maryland. Like we had to like change it and change our branding out to, to ensure that AmeriCorps was first. And to your point of sharing, having a shared experience, um, it's my understanding that any service year has to include a period of, of AmeriCorps training. For us, it was two weeks of pre-service training before you went off to your service sites and did the thing. You had to get a like a grounding or a context of what is this AmeriCorps thing, which was really helpful for me because I didn't know I was signing up for AmeriCorps. So when I was sitting around a table with 30 other people, I was like, I'm the volunteer coordinator at Quiet Waters Park. I don't know who you are. Um, but that you that we could add that to the the service and training, right? And it could be part of the programming across the board. You know, I say that from the cheap seats of not running an AmeriCorps program, but along along those lines, I think that one of the things that programs would need is a little bit of funding to help ensure that those members are getting that experience. So I think it's one hundred percent doable, and I one thousand percent agree with you that like that identifying as an AmeriCorps member needs, it really needs to be driven, driven home from the programs because most of the folks that I have interviewed um, identify with their program, right? Like I am a, this, I served with this. And um, so, yeah, broadening those, those terms is important. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's awesome. I think the example of you know, the work you were able to do from the State Service Commission level is so important, right? State Service Commissions right now can turn around and put AmeriCorps branding on everything, right? Mm -hmm. They can turn around and host two weeks for everyone who serves in the state in that state capital and mm -hmm. give folks a unified training experience, right? Now, that will take money and will take capacity. I would argue there's a lot of interest right now in this for uh, donors and the philanthropic space. Ooh. So I actually think you could not only fundraise for this, but use it yeah. to then fundraise for the program itself um, because AmeriCorps programs require a match from philanthropic partners, right? But you know, it, it, it's a huge opportunity. And, and that's not to say the federal agency shouldn't do more. They should be pulling out toolkits. They should be pulling out trainings. They should really be encouraging this and making this very easy for states and grantees mm -hmm. to run with. But um, states can do so much. And they can also really partner closely with grantees 
and really, you know, make clear to them that the folks who serve with them are AmeriCorps members first. And, and I just, to make a point here on why I think this is also so important, there's so many nonprofits who view the AmeriCorps members that serve with them as cheap labor, just flatly. It is a cheap way for them to get a lot of things done. And that is a huge shame for the people who serve and for the nonprofit because you lose this opportunity to train and incubate this person who's going to go on to better the community, right? Which is mm-hmm. the goal of the nonprofit, right? But you you have, have framed this thing badly, right? Instead of making it something that is about this, you know, member coming in, doing really great work, you're there to help support them, help them along, you know, they're going to do better work for your organization when they feel like they're being invested in, when they feel like they're part of this, this thing rather than, you know, an underpaid employee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you miss this opportunity to work closely with, you know, other grantees, other folks through the State Service yes. Commission. So I really think the State Service Commission can have such a role in both bringing folks together, but also making clear to the grantees who they are awarding funds to that these are AmeriCorps members and not, you know, a cheap labor force. Absolutely. I think that's such a, that's a, a, such a good point in doubling down on, again, going back to the member experience, right? Like, it, it really starts with there with alumni engagement and the education of the sites. Um, I feel like I, I feel like I could talk to you forever on these issues. Um, I want to make sure that we are touching on everything that, that you want to touch on and that you're promoting what you're doing. And, um, you know, I, for the, for we had a pre-call everyone and I told him do not be humble like <laughs> brag about yourself on this podcast that's what this is about um so as we start thinking about winding down here um what are what are some things you want to make sure that we cover that people know cuz people are going to have to come back and listen to this over and over and over again and I'm going to have to get all the names that you name dropped and all the links and we'll make sure that we turn this into a study session of of the past and present of, of AmeriCorps, you've, you've enlightened me, um, on this, in this conversation. And, um, this is just, it's just so much great information. So I want to make sure is what else do you want to make sure we, we know before we wrap up? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, also thank you so much for doing this. It's, it's a huge value add. Um, I think if for folks who are interested about more things that state service commissions can do to, you know, advance equity in the program to really just build a better AmeriCorps, I would um, advise them to check out a release uh, titled How State Service Commissions Can Advance Equity in AmeriCorps that really goes in depth with, um, you know, specific recommendations for state service commissions. And all of that can be found on the Next 100 website. Um, the other things I want to shout out is, um, you know, I had the op- awesome opportunity to go and uh, give a joint presentation on workforce development best practices um, in the ASK conferences around the country um, alongside um, John Kelly, who leads the uh, who leads Colorado. the Serve Colorado State Commission, um, with Lynn, who uh, leads the efforts around uh, the pre-apprentice, uh, excuse me, around the apprenticeship efforts in public health at the Trailhead Institute in Colorado with Yasmin Shaheen McConnell, who uh, leads the partnership teams at the AmeriCorps Federal Agency. I just want to shout out the great work all of them do. And I really, really uh, would recommend folks to uh, look into those programs. Um, And I I also just want to highlight the great work that ASK has done, America's Service Mm -hmm. Commissions, and bringing together folks in pushing workforce development and, and really be open in being open to thinking about what AmeriCorps can be and encouraging and supporting state commissions in that effort. Um, in terms of other efforts, I think the um, 
climate cores has been like a really big point of hope for me. Uh, mm -hmm. Washington State recently, uh, after months and months, if not years of lobbying and partnership with Governor Jay Inslee, uh, passed a Washington Climate Core Network, which is uh, hundreds of millions of dollars from the state service commission, excuse me, from uh, state coffers to su supplement AmeriCorps dollars to help build climate cores at Washington State. Um, and to their credit, they really focused on centering impacted communities, on paying folks who uh, you know, are below the poverty line more, on working closely with um, industry leaders on the ground to ensure that you know, folks not only get the opportunity to serve um, in their communities, but also are given the support, the workforce connects they need to, to turn it into a career. Michigan has also been leading the way and doing some great work. Um, may, I, there's a whole bunch of states who are doing great work, but yes. I will just say that this is one of those places where there's so much potential to do great work mm -hmm. and a chance to um, you know, really help make the case for folks who are not in the national service world for what the value add of national service is. And I think most people you know, get understand the idea that we need to build uh, you know, a new green workforce, and we need to do so in a way that is inclusive and is not forcing everyone to go get three graduate degrees. And like, that's the only way to access these jobs instead building these workforce pathways um, and, and centering those impacted communities in the policy process, in the program creation, in setting these things up, because they are the ones who know best how uh, these policy programs should be structured. Um, so host a recent event uh, on civilian climate cores in Washington, DC, bringing together the folks behind a lot of the work out in Washington state, um, as well as um, some of the national leaders leading that work and uh, you know the, the great leadership of Michael Smith as well, the CEO of AmeriCorps who, who really uh, spoke about the value of it. Um, I think the other thing I wanna highlight is recently released a uh, report on how to integrate pre-apprenticeships into national service programming alongside uh, Service Year Alliance and Jobs for the Future. I say alongside, actually what I mean is co-authored with them. I just want to call out uh, Brent Kosick and Vanessa Bennett, uh, my co-authors who really have done so much great work in leading the way on this and brought a lot of those findings to the Horizon Conference that uh, Jobs for the Future um, put on. Um, I think that's at least the things that come top of mind for now. There's a bunch of smaller things. There's, um, you know, also want to call out the great folks at the Washington Monthly who were kind enough to let me write a op-ed for them not too long ago on workforce development and AmeriCorps. Um, and I think really see the power in national service. Um, and there are a ton of other folks who I am sure I've forgotten to call out and that is not personal to any of you out there. It's just because um, it's been a long conversation, but I, I, I really feel like we're in this moment in which there um, totally. are so many opportunities to really uh, help national service live up to the grand ideals that it can be, right? Mm -hmm. And even though we weren't able, even though we were able to get some additional funding, not all that we had hoped out of this congressional session, you know, there's so much that state service commissions can do now. There's so much that local programs can do now. And there's so much that federal agency can do now in terms of connecting, uh, you know, federal dollars from other agencies through AmeriCorps, similar to what they did with uh, the public health corps using, excuse me, public health AmeriCorps grant using mm -hmm. CDC yes. uh, funding. There's so much more that can be done. And I want folks to know that, that we're in this moment 
where this thing is moving in the right direction. As long as we're sure that we're centering AmeriCorps members, we're centering these communities, we're valuing the uh, AmeriCorps experience as much as we are the impact they're having on their communities. As long mm -hmm. as we're doing all of those things and creating inclusive policy design, I think this thing can really live up to kind of the grand ideals. And drop the mic right there. Like that was a <laughs> beautiful summary. Um, yes, yes to all of that. And I'll make sure everything that you alluded to is in the show notes. It's just going to be bullets of all these different lakes. It's going to be so fun. Um, it's going to be like a research project for me. I, the, the last thing I want to ask, because people do reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I had a gentleman who I believe was a law student um, and he wants to be involved. Like how could... How, how can AmeriCorps members, AmeriCorps alumni, learn about kind of the behind the scenes policy work, um, you know, research, all the things that happen behind the scenes before it even is launched? And how can they support, where, do, where should they go to, to find this information? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I am happy to talk to anyone. Um, I will give you my email, which you can include in the show notes. Um, okay. I'm, I'm definitely a little behind on email, but but try and be as responsive and helpful to folks. Um, I think some of the big organizations that do a lot of this work, uh, Service Year Alliance, it's worth reaching out. Um, they do great work. I know they uh, you know, have an email address where you can field inquiries. The Core Network does really good work, um, okay. would recommend them as well. America's Service Commission's Ask, I also think it's a really good resource for stuff like this. Um, you know, and Voices for National Service is also doing really important work on the Hill as well. And I'm sure would be happy to chat about all of this. Okay. So I think those are kind of some of the bigger organizations that I would recommend reaching out to, dropping a line, chatting with, um, you know, I think, and, and I would say like, I think there are also a number of newsletters that folks have been putting out. Voices has their roundup that comes out, I think every week talking about kind of where things are moving in Congress on the federal level. As it relates to AmeriCorps, um, Service Year Alliance also has a newsletter and recently launched a mm -hmm. uh, alums newsletter. Um, and both Ask and the Core Network also have newsletters that you can sign up for as well. Um, I think in terms of media coverage, I would recommend folks to the Washington Monthly. Um, they kind of do the most consistent coverage on this, but you know, the Washington Post and occasionally the Times also cover some of these topics. Um, that's kind of what comes to mind. I wish I okay. could give you more, but um, I think that's I think a good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the questions that I always like to ask my guests to wrap things up is what do you what do you foresee or what would you like to see this group of one million strong AmeriCorps alum? What what do you think we could do? Yeah, I mean, I think there is so much opportunity to do so much good for the program. I think, you know, some of it is administrative, right? Whenever AmeriCorps, uh, the federal agency puts out a rule change comment, right? We talked about the 80-20 rule before. Uh, if they ever get around mm. to changing that rule, there will probably be a public comment period the way there was for the match requirement recently, right? You should go and submit public comment. You should talk about your experience in AmeriCorps and talk about how, uh, you know, the lack of training or whatever your experience was uh, had an impact and they will take that into account and use it in the rule change process, right? Um, I think 
a lot of folks should, uh, there are local AmeriCorps alums chapters of which I think mm-hmm. died out a little bit during the pandemic, but mm-hmm. uh, you should kind of reach back out, whether it's through Facebook groups, whether it's reaching out to Service Year Alliance, which now has uh, the AmeriCorps alums organization under their umbrella. Um, reach out and see if you can found your local chapter, or get involved or see if folks are still doing work around that. Um, I would really recommend folks to reach out to their uh, local elected officials, right? So whether that's your member of Congress, whether that's your uh, Senate, Senator, um, you know, whether it's, you know, your state government, right? Because the state government, you know, has the ability to impact what the State Service Commission does. Um, I think it's really, really worth kind of reaching out and, and letting folks know this is important. And I think, you know, the Trump administration tried to cut funding for AmeriCorps. And I think making it clear to your federal member of Congress that this is something that is important to you can help keep the program alive. And I think being really honest about what you wish the program did better or places in which you think the program can improve can go really far. Because a lot of, uh, at least the federal legislators who I've, I've worked with have been really open to this, really open to change. And I think want to hear from folks. Um, I just, I think they should stay involved with you. They should at the very least, you know, follow you on LinkedIn, but follow the work that you do. And I think there's a huge chance for this group of members to, um, you know, help impact how the program is administered and, and go fight for more funding, right? You know, whether it's because of a budget cut, whether it's to go and fight on the Hill the next time there's a big budget deal to get AmeriCorps funding, or whether it's organizing so that you can uh, speak with folks at the AmeriCorps Federal Agency or provide comment or send out letters so that folks at the agency hear from those on the ground and know what change is needed, right? Because at the end of the day, all of the folks who served AmeriCorps, AmeriCorps alums, are the people who should be dictating federal policy on this program and dictating what the future of this program can be. And um, by organizing, by getting together, by doing joint efforts, you can really exert so much of that influence that um, is needed to make this thing better. Um, so I don't know. That's, I think, what people can do. Yeah, that is a great direction for folks to take. Um, absolutely. And and so many opportunities for, for people to get involved and to show up. And, you know, sometimes it feels like, well, going back to something that we said earlier is like, you only know what you know. And if the agency doesn't hear these voices and it can feel like you're just kind of screaming into the void or whatever. Um, but you're not, and, you know, we've, I've been on both sides, right. I've been on the, the hello, is anybody hearing me? But I've also been in those rooms with those folks that you, you know, Amber from Washington and John from Colorado. And I was in the room with Sonali and, and the seat and Michael, and we were talking about all of these innovative partnerships that like the state commissions are, are going to have. And they, they want, they want to hear from us. So, if you all don't do anything out there, do everything that Robert said. <laughs> so thank you so, so very much. This was a fantastic conversation. And this is one of those interviews when I have to go back and edit it, that I just hear different things and learn different things. So this is going to be a fun five hours of editing. And I appreciate it. And thank you so much for everything you're doing for national service and AmeriCorps. And, um, you know, let's definitely stay in touch and I'll, I'll put your information in the um, the show notes and any last words. No, I think that's it. Thank you so much to everyone who served and, um, you know, stays involved trying to make this thing better. Yeah, thank you so much. And I will be back next week with another AmeriCorps Connections and we will connect with an, another AmeriCorps alum and learn about their their crazy journey and what they're up to now. So 
See you next week. Bye. See you next week. Thanks so much for doing this. Take care.